You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 18 of You Play a What. I had just come off a conversation with the legend that is Daniel Yao. I feel like each time I talk to him, I learn a little bit more about the different musical endeavors that he has been involved in, like singing in a choir or learning the bassoon. He seems to be always up for learning or trying something new. You know, I think it is fair to say that people could have very different opinions about Daniel because he doesn't really mince his words and he can have very strong opinions. But to my surprise, having worked with him this past year, he, it, he is extremely open-minded and receptive when it comes to our work. Uh, sure, we don't agree all the time, but the constant discussion and debates are also a highlight in the group. So uh, in this episode, we talk about how he went into bass clarinet performance, his feelings towards orchestra transcription for wind band, and also the difficulties in sustaining an arts organization, both in Europe and in Singapore. Yeah, I, I hope all of you are keeping well. Believe it or not, we are already at the last one quarter of the year. Uh, even with this ongoing pandemic, it seems like time is still flying by and I think many of us are looking forward to 2021 already and we can't wait to close this 2020 chapter. But I think there are many things to be positive about with what is going on in our country and I do hope that our lives will resemble some kind of uh, normalcy once again. Uh, but then again, uh, we can argue that this is a new normal, isn't it? So yeah, uh, that's a pretty long introduction today. Um, so I hope I haven't lost any of you. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Play A What. If you enjoy the content of this podcast, feel free to subscribe and leave a rating. All of this will be much appreciated. And above all else, thank you so much for your attention. Now please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Daniel. My guest today is another returning guest and he has dabbled in almost all aspects of classical music making. He can be a rather controversial figure and he will not shy away from expressing himself and telling you the truth even if it might ruffle a few feathers. I personally happen to fall on his good side so things have been alright so far but that's to my own knowledge anyway. <laughs> he... 
<laughs> He's a colleague, a conductor, educator, performer, composer, arranger, and the list goes on. But above all, I'm pleased to call him my friend. Welcome to the show, Daniel. How are you doing today? Hello, Vincent. Um, yeah, I've, I'm quite good. It's been quite a while since I've met you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so a, a good a good forty eight hours, yeah. right? Since we last yeah. saw each other, yeah. so uh, yeah, it's been quite a while. So uh, thank you for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for having me again. Absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. Uh, do you think I kind of oversold you a little bit in the introduction? Yeah, maybe you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then I might disappoint your fans. <laughs> I, I I thought you were gonna say like, well, most of it is all true. Except the part that you call me a friend, maybe we have to think about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so look, uh, you have a yeah, you have had a pretty uh, interesting musical journey. Um, mm. You've entered music school, you've quit music school, uh, you've taught in secondary school bands. You were a former military musician. Uh, you have been an active performer in the music scene for so many years. Mm. And then you went over to Amsterdam, uh, abroad to Amsterdam, and you lived there and studied there for quite a while. Yeah, for six years, actually. Six years, yeah. yeah. So that is, uh, by itself, sounds really exciting. Mm. I mean, you know, you're, you're not that old, I would say, but anything else you would like to add to that? Did I miss anything? I think that was pretty much it of my like musical journey so far. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, of course... I've got to do a plug for a separate episode, which is episode one, where you spoke a little bit more in depth about your own sort of uh, musical history and journey and how it all came about. We're not going to repeat the same thing. So uh, any of you who are listening to this episode, who are curious about how uh, music has all begun for Daniel, can go back to episode one and uh, listen to what he has to say. Mm. Yeah, so... I, I mean... Uh, like like we've just said, you know, we've been uh, seeing each other quite a lot recently. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a good two days since I last saw you. So <laughs> apart from consuming a few more mooncakes, any interesting events that took place in your life since I last saw you? Mm, well, I just came back from a movie and also a dinner. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, and I've also like done a substitute lesson for a friend yesterday with like primary school kids. So that mm. was pretty exciting. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, still keeping busy uh, in yeah. these times. Yeah. And of course, uh, you are this um, legend when it comes to going to the theater and watching movies by yourself, isn't it? Yeah. For those of you who are not on uh, Daniel's Instagram, over the last few days, he has posted plenty of mooncake reviews on his Instagram story. <laughs> yeah, so they might have expired already. I don't yeah. know. But he has basically done the research for you. You can shortlist that for next year. Uh, and then, yeah, let, let's just talk about that, right? So any <laughs> honorable mentions so far this year? Yeah, like, it's the first time I've been, like, introduced to, like, the Ta Zhong Guo mooncakes, like, ever in my life. You know, right. and I was so surprised by it. Like, it's so traditional. And for me, uh, if there are mooncake aficionados out there, I'm sorry, but I only eat like uran mooncakes, which is like usually for old people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, of course, the, the uran are the, the mixed nuts mooncake, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 
And I always get like strange looks from the staff who sell the mooncakes because they're like, oh, are you buying for like your grandparents? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm like buying it for myself. And yeah, like, so for like the past weeks, I've been mm. buying like single Uran mooncakes from right. the shop. So it's a little bit strange as well. Like, they're like, oh, why don't you buy a box? I'm like, oh, I'm just buying it and like eating, you know, by myself. So yeah, they yeah. also give like <laughs> so- the strange looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So, uh, it definitely, uh, Ura Mooncake is like an acquired taste. Yeah, I think. Is. Yeah, uh, some of it, I I eat Ura Mooncake as well, but not all the time. Yeah, and uh, it's not my favorite because sometimes there is like this, um, this kind of dried orange peel taste ah, inside. Ah, yes, yes, yeah. the mandarins. Yeah, yes, and I don't really like that. Yeah. Other than that, it's fine. You know, it's crunchy. Yeah, there's nuts in it. That's and. You know, and some sweet. of it actually have like the tsinghua huo tui as well, like the ham. Yes, in yes. Them, which is yeah. quite interesting because like you have this savory and sweet combination. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And actually the the having the ham inside is part of the tradition and the ah, orange peel as okay. well. Yeah, okay. so of course, uh, for those of you who don't, do not know, my family used to run a bakery. So we used to like, you know, during mid-autumn festival, we produce our ah. own cakes and stuff. Yeah, so... Great. Let's talk uh, slightly more serious stuff, right? Let's sure, talk about sure. your musical journey and some of the things that you've been doing. Yeah. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but during your formative years, you have been quite proactive as a performer. I mean this when you were like in secondary schools and perhaps post-secondary school. So, you played in uh, many community bands and yes. also you were part of the Singapore National Youth Orchestra. Yes. So, uh, how old were you when you joined the orchestra? I joined the orchestra when I was, I think, at the end of my year one in NAFA. So it, I was about, what, 17, 18? Mm. Yeah, and yeah, I was in NAFA for a couple of years before I dropped out. Yeah, and... <laughs> right. Yeah, so from then on, that's where like the whole exciting journey began. So at that point of time, I... Uh, you know, what, uh, what was required of you to uh, join the orchestra? You had to do an audition, right? Yes, I definitely did an audition. But also, I think I had a lot of friends playing in there. So they were just like, oh, like, why don't you come and join us? So I went there and I had an audition and yeah, then I got in. Mm, yeah, and uh, who, were, who were with you in the orchestra at that time? Alan, for sure. Alan Katik. Yeah. And then, of course, Jeremy. Jeremy was like the president of the orchestra then. Mm. And who else? I had Jing Jun, Ka Chun, and like Yun Yuan on flute. And I right. had Louis, Louis Teo on oboe. Mm. Marcus Day on flute as well. Right. And right. On bassoon was Chester. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. So. Quite a few of us were in there together then. I see. I see. Golden generation, right? Orchestra. <laughs> Some might well, say, right? Some might say. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so uh, when, when it comes to, say, like joining the like a youth orchestra or a group that is uh, not your school band, like a community yeah. band, uh, sometimes, like you said, you have to do auditions and stuff like that. Yeah. And sometimes this, uh, the concept of having the need to do an audition would turn some young musicians off. What do you think about that? And if someone 
is worried about doing an audition, what sort of advice do you have to give to them? I think auditions are so important. Like, because it will really test your nerves, firstly, as like as a performer, you know, because sometimes you have like small solos in the ensembles and then that's where your nerves will come in and how you deal with it. And that's very important for like the leaders of the ensemble to see. Because mm. if you're not able to play by yourself and how are you going to do it in front of everybody, in yeah. front of the ensemble and the audience? Yeah, and yeah, I think auditions also make and break a person too. Like mm. I've definitely had many auditions that I failed as well. And of course, some I've passed, you know, but a mm. lot of times now we don't have auditions anymore for like the community bands, you know, yeah. it's always like, oh, uh, by word of mouth or your friends will pull you in and or, or you're like my student. So I bring you into the group as well. And yeah, I think it's very unhealthy because sometimes that person might play well in your ensemble or as like your friend, but when they come into the ensemble as a group dynamic, sometimes it, yeah, it can make or break or spoil the whole ensemble as well. Yeah. Mm, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think uh, with the, with auditions definitely comes a sense of, um, you, you, it can be quite a traumatic experience, right? Mm. And it's, it's difficult because it's a, you basically, you turn up, you have one chance, you have yeah. to, play in front of most of the time people that you've never met before yeah. sometimes uh, very uh, either people that you res highly respect yes. or people who you think is a little bit intimidating so that can unsettle some aspects of the playing but I do agree that um, part of the, the fun or part of the development that you can gain out from doing an audition is also the preparation yeah for sure because it really shows how you are as a player and a performer. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Because if you turn up to the, to the audition and then you just start playing like wrong rhythms and wrong notes, it really tells in your preparation, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm sure like we've been on panels for community events before where we hear auditions mm. and then you can hear like, whoa, like have you been preparing for this audition at all, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and then you hear some, like, you see some really timid player and then when they play, you're like, wow, this is incredible. Mm. Yeah, so it, it's always a mix of players that you get. Even with, like, the conservatory students, you know? Yep. I'm sure when you were studying it at Northern, you also have to, or, like, audition for certain seats. Or for for like, sure. Yeah, so for conservatory students as well, it's always happening with your auditions, yeah. Yeah, and it gets quite competitive because we, for euphoniums, right, the yeah. highlight of our year in terms of playing in an ensemble is yeah. to play in a brass band. Yes. So, of course, some of you listening might think that that is the highlight of the year. That sounds a little bit sad. <laughs> well, that's the life of, of a euphonium player, right? So, yeah. uh, we our biggest concert is at the uh, RNCM Festival or RNCM Brass Band Festival. Mm. So, that itself, we have the college band. So yeah. supposedly the A team would yeah. be featured in this concert. So um, we, uh, I think it was my second year onwards, mm. we had to audition for the principal euphonium seat. Mm. Yeah, that, the rest of it was allocated. Yeah. Yeah, but we have to audition for the principal euphonium seat. So yeah. that was really um, quite interesting. So uh, what were some of your uh, highlights 
performing with these groups? Hmm. I think the biggest highlight would be with Phil Wins in 2005 mm. when we went to Kekrade in the Netherlands for the WMC. Ah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was like, I guess that was the really the peak of the band scene back then. Like, with Phil Wins winning the Go With Distinction. Mm. Yeah, like, and I think till date, we are still the only band that got the Go With Distinction in the first division. Yeah. Yeah. And another highlight would probably be when I was in the Wasbe Youth Orchestra in Taiwan in 2011, I think. Yeah, 2011. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that was yeah. the, the year we bumped into each other at yes. the hotel lobby. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so um tell us a little bit about this uh WMC um competition. So uh, some of us might not be so clear about yeah. how so when you say first section, how how does the category of this competition works? Yeah, so basically the WMC or the World Music Contest is actually like the wind band Olympics. It only mm. happens once every four years. Yeah, so in 2005, Phil Wins went and we were such a small band for the first division because in the contest, there is the open division, which is the top division, mm. and then first, second, third divisions. And then you have like the marching bands and the show bands and whatever. Yeah. yeah so we were in the concert band or the harmony orchestra. Uh, division. So we were the second highest category. Mm. And I think few wins had, we had like one per part. So we maybe like 45 to 50 players. Right. And the other bands were like 80 to 120 even. Yeah. Mm. And being the, one of the only Asian bands there in the first division and we got a goal with distinction. I think with the placement of fourth or fifth in the whole division. Yeah, mm, because okay. we were already playing like in the last weekend of the competition. Yeah, I see. So when our results were all announced, we were, yeah, basically we knew the whole ranking system. Yeah, and then ah, we okay. found out that, oh, we're like actually fifth in the world and we're like, whoa, this is incredible. And when we were there, we were actually home, we had homestay with like local families there. Ah, I see. So yeah, it was really nice. Like they came to watch us perform. And you know, when we were rehearsing, they came to the room and they were like, that's all you have? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, they're like, oh, this is all the people you brought here. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. Then we played and they were cheering really, really loudly for us. And that was such a great moment. I think you could even watch the videos now on YouTube. Ah, I see. Yeah, like after we finished, everyone was like cheering because I don't think they expected that from such a tiny band. Mm, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think this was really like one of the highlights in my life because doesn't mean you need to be a big band to really sound big and really good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Once you have like competent players, I think that's way more important. Mm, definitely. Yeah, like size doesn't matter. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, of course in Singapore we are very geared towards the uh, Japanese uh, ideologies when it comes to uh, having yes. a win ensemble or a win orchestra. Yeah. Which is why a size of forty five doesn't feel like it's small at all, right? It's it feels yeah. like actually in in fact. Uh, slightly on the larger side of things. But when you look at 
the the Western world, right? The Belgians, mm. the the Netherlands yeah. and stuff like that. Easily the band is like 80 people strong, 90 yeah. people strong, yeah. right? Multi-generational uh, musicians mm. just coming together. Of course, we're going to talk a little yeah. bit more about how yeah. the sort of wind band organizations in Singapore and in the Europe sort of differs and the way they run yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, so th- uh, this brings us very nicely since we're talking about WMC, we're talking about the Netherlands. Now, I wanted to uh, ask you about a group that is, of course, very close to your heart during your time in the Netherlands, yes. which is the Symphonic Winds that you had started yes. and kept going throughout most parts of your time there, which is the yeah. uh, m- more impressive thing because it's easy to start something. Uh, <laughs> but as uh, musicians, we also know that it's quite easy to run out of steam and motivation yeah. sometimes to keep something yeah. going. So the formation of this group, okay, was it for you to create some more podium time for yourself as a conducting student in Amsterdam? Yes, definitely. Because if I were to say this, like, it might surprise everybody. When I'm in the conservatorium for Amsterdam, right, Mm. doing my wind band conducting studies, there is no wind band in the conservatory. Yeah, so it might come to a surprise to a lot of people because, you you know, like the Dutch bands are terrific. And then you see all these huge European bands and the conservatories, and then you're like, there's no wind band <laughs> in the conservatory. Yeah. yeah. And there are no school wind bands as well. So like the high schools have no wind bands as well. Ah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. So there is no tradition of having institutional wind bands I see in the Netherlands okay. yeah yeah. so basically the whole tradition of wind bands come from the community mm, okay yeah so in every village there would be like one or two wind bands I see yeah or like regional wind bands in the states and whatever mm. yeah so that's how they have their wind band tradition and yeah when I started school I was like I was asking my teacher, so like, when is the first rehearsal of the wind band? Then he's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, what? There's no wind band for me to conduct. And we are wind band conducting department. So what do we do? Hmm. Yeah. So then I found out we would have like apprenticeship, you know, where we have maybe monthly visits to the community bands around the Netherlands to conduct. I see. Yeah. For like one evening. Mm. Yeah, so I guess that was the rise of my need to get more podium time as well. Mm, okay. Yeah, so then I was asking my teacher, you know, like, that since there's no wind band in school, like, do you think I could form one, like, pro- on project basis? Mm. And he was like, nah, it's impossible, you know? Nobody has done this <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, right, like, right. <laughs> so then I was like, yeah. But I'm not going to just conduct two pianos every week and then wait for one evening a month to conduct something, you yeah, know? Yeah, definitely. With more people. Mm. So then I decided to just go around the whole school knocking on practice rooms and asking them if they're interested to like form a wind band with me. Mm. Yeah, for one concert, you know? Right. Yeah, so then I think we had the first concert in 2012. Or 2013, like on in February, like around the Chinese New Year period, I can still remember. Mm. Yeah, so then I formed a wind band 
and we had like maybe five or six rehearsals and then my teacher was there to observe like my rehearsals you know because I was after all a conducting student yeah. so he came to observe the rehearsals gave me feedback and then we had the first concert and it was like yeah wow like I never expected this to ever happen here mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah and then after that I just kept on pushing for two or three concerts a year and yeah like the school was also surprised, like, how did you keep this going on for six years, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. And occasionally, the school would ask, like, um, do you think we could have, like, a session where we conduct your band? I'm like, uh, if you want, you have to form it yourself. Right. Because I'm not going to send, like, 200 emails every time you want, you know? Mm. So, yeah, of course, when it was for my own concerts, then I did it gladly. Yeah. yeah. So, these are... Uh fellow conducting students they are asking you if they could yeah. conduct your band yeah definitely okay. yeah right because they they themselves have maybe their own community bands but they are like maybe for kids or like really old elderly adults mm. yeah so they can't do too exciting so, things right yeah for sure mm. yeah so they were asking like oh like could we do one or two observant like observations of your rehearsals and whatever then i'm like yeah but i'm not preparing for a concert so we have no rehearsals mm-hmm. yeah yeah it was quite a nightmare actually yeah but i'm glad i did it because after a while the conservatory students of the other schools who used to be playing in like wind bands back home they're all like oh like can we play in your wind band mm. Yeah, because we've missed playing in wind bands. And yeah, so I also managed to like have a whole network of players from all over the Netherlands in the different conservatories. I see. Yeah, that, that was really, really fun yeah. for me. Yeah. And of course, there's always Team Singapore from all over Europe flying in. Yes. Right? That, yeah. That's also the exciting thing. Yeah. yeah. Especially to, uh, of course, with these kind of projects, every now and then you have certain people who are not able to make the concerts. So when there's a yeah. void, you know, when we're all nearby, it's always fun to yeah, kind of get together. That was probably like the first time we've ever played together, right? Yeah. Like on stage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I was asking you to play for my master's recital Correct. because we have no euphonium players. Yeah, the final one. Yeah, yeah, final one. So yeah, yeah I, I'm glad I, I made it. Yeah, and it was a. Uh, and I'm very glad that you came over as well. Yeah, really, yeah. really fantastic time in Amsterdam. Yeah. So uh, I want to ask you now. Um, the difficulty is really in starting an ensemble, right? I think. Yes. Was it in your element to go to everybody and, like you said, knock on their practice doors and and sell them this idea that uh, I, I'm trying to do this project uh, with a wind band. Would you want to be part of this? Did you imagine yourself doing something like that before you started school? Definitely not. (laughs) Because in Singapore, that would never happen, you know? Mm. We already have like existing groups. Yeah. And we would just join those. Like nobody would form a new like new orchestra or new band. Well, actually in recent years, it has been happening here. Mm. But... Like, if you were to tell me six, seven, ten years ago, I would have not done it at all. Yeah. Yeah, until I went to Amsterdam because it was actually out of a need to have something to conduct. Yeah. That I actually took that step. Mm. Yeah. Did you find it difficult to go to everyone and ask them to be part of this thing? Yes, very difficult. Like, because people were practicing, right? (laughs) So, midway through their routines, there was like a knock. 
And usually when people knock on the studio doors, you're usually like, oh, did I not book the yes, room? Yes, yes, of course. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm like, oh, no, 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 sorry. Like, I am I didn't book the room. So I'm just like, a, I'm a new student here, you know, and I'm a conducting student and there's no wind band in school. So I, I was just wondering if you're interested to play or like if I could have your email so that I can send you more details. Mm. Yeah, so that started, and after a while, I ha- I was very good friends with like the administration. So then I could get like emails of the students. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't have to go around knocking on doors anymore. I see. Yeah. So I could get like email addresses, and then I could text. Yeah, I could send emails to the students, or even to like the teachers as well. Like, oh, it's like two rehearsals before the concert and I still don't have a hard player like could you please recommend one of your students to play for me ah I see yeah for example okay yeah, okay because a lot of a lot of players are very busy and if they see like oh you have six seven rehearsals like then they're usually quite put off and they, they won't want to participate in the concert Mm, fair enough. Yeah, but if they see like oh one or two rehearsals left yeah sure like if I'm only playing one or two pieces why not you know mm. Yeah. yeah, I've even had like exams where the players only come on the sound check. Ah, <laughs> exciting. Yeah, right, right. Right before the concert. Yeah, but of course, these players were super players and mm. yeah, no mistakes, even though they're sight reading. Right. Yeah. yeah, so that was really, really quite an enjoyable nightmare, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yeah, definitely a, yeah. A, a very kind of unique uh, experience, right? That you're not going to get yeah. anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. So, definitely. yeah, was it difficult for you to work with music students? Because I think you know, at times, right, we are when we enter yeah. music school, we are young. We have our ambitions, and uh, mm. we are we are trying to find our own identity and voice and stuff. Um, was it difficult for them to buy into your project? Did you um? I mean, you compare a student ensemble to a community ensemble where everybody wants mm. to turn up and be there. Whereas sometimes yeah. student ensemble, they might sign up for it and then they'll be like, mm, yeah, I'm not 100% committed as well. Yeah. So do you yeah. face any sort of difficulties when you're rehearsing the group? Definitely, because I was also really new to conducting. Mm. So like my first concerts were quite nerve-wracking for me as a conductor. I see. Yeah, so I had like no, not much prior conducting experience, even in Singapore. I was just like doing like sectional tutoring, you know. I wasn't conducting full bands much. Mm. And yeah, and even then the school, the age range was like secondary schools, you know. Right. And these are like conservatory students who have been playing for years and years. Mm. Way more advanced players and I've had no experience like that. So, a lot of the wind players also try not to play in wind bands anymore because they're like, oh, you know, we've been playing in wind bands our whole lives. So, now we're in conservatory, so we don't want to play for you anymore. Like, mm. we don't want to play in a wind band. Yeah. Or then you have, like, like all my fellow Spanish and Portuguese friends, mm. they're always so excited to play in wind bands because they miss playing in wind bands. Yeah. Yeah, so they would gladly play for you. 
And of course, after a while, you know, then they don't have time anymore. But then you have like new students. Mm. So every year I would be like doing a recruitment drive sort of, you know, right, right. for my symphonic yeah. rooms. Yeah. So that's, that's also something that I had to deal with. And I was also playing in like community bands in the Netherlands. Mm. So from there, I also had my network of like amateur players who were playing on very, very high levels. Yeah. Yeah. So that was also my chance to like pull them in to play because a lot of these players were also maybe like past conservatory students. Okay. But then now they're like bankers and lawyers and whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So then they also miss making music on such a high level. I see. Yeah, so then they also could like re- relieve their youths, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of these amateur players also came to play for me. Mm, yeah. yeah, even until my master's recital. Right, yeah, right. That was, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's when you mention uh, Spanish uh, students, yeah. I kind of recall this story, right? So when we, when we were preparing for your final recital, <laughs> you yes. got a message that from your tuba player saying that he yeah. was going to start work at Zara and he couldn't make your exam <laughs> or something like that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then we had to, yeah, call reinforcement from Switzerland <laughs> down. Yeah, so... Yes, Sonia. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. <laughs> Team Singapore. Team Singapore, indeed, yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah. That was, yeah, um, yeah. It was it was quite a moment. I remember hearing that. I was like, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- this kind of things happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, after you graduate, you need a job, like whatever job you can get to stay there. Mm. Yeah. So this was one of the last minute things that you always have to deal with as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you you kind of have to understand as well, isn't it? Because when people say that they have to go and work and earn their (laughs) livelihood, you can't be like, no, you have to come here and, you know, yeah, rehearse with the band. Yeah. Yeah, and I must also say like everyone plays on a voluntary basis. Mm. Yeah, so a lot of the conservatory students were also asked like, "Oh, um how much am I getting?" And I'm like, "Um sorry, I don't have money to pay yeah. you, but I can like I can provide you with baked goods, you know, that I I'll make cakes and cookies for every rehearsal." Yeah. So yeah, that's the only payment that I could afford back then. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so yeah. like You've done this like incredible amount of concerts, right? I remember when I mm. stepped into your apartment in Amsterdam, behind yeah. the door on the walls were just full of <laughs> concert posters. Yeah. So, uh, most memorable concert for you? Most memorable concert? I guess it would be my last concert. Mm. Yeah, which was my master's recital, basically. Ah, okay. Yeah, because it was like a whole combination of all the years of thousands of emails I've sent, you know, Mm. and like begging, stealing scores from everywhere (laughs) to perform. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to have also two new works written for my recital by my friends. Mm. Yes. And also to do like a slice of Asia, you know, mm. not Singapore per se, but of Asia yep. presenting to the Europeans over there and also, yeah, to like do a transcription, which I adamantly <laughs> do not like to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I was like checking many boxes in one recital. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I did a transcription as well. So that was also quite, yeah, it's a very varied program. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, yeah. you know, uh, it was a it was a great time, right? Because all many of us were there, uh, many Singaporeans yeah. were there as well. To there were fourteen Singaporeans on stage yeah. that day, and it was like yeah. a, a celebration of a journey in a way. Yeah, and of course. Yeah, uh, the party afterwards was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic, super amazing, yeah, fantastic. Shout Sorry. out to Michelle. Exactly, that was exactly <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> what I was gonna do, right? So yeah, yeah. because I'm sure she'll tune into this episode. Yeah. yeah, and maybe she can tell you the story when she's on <laughs> on the future episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I have to coax it out of her, but yeah. If definitely. she can remember. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. A, a lot of it is a lot. Uh, our our recount of the the yeah. evening, right? Yeah. 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 So okay, and now uh, a part of this, apart from this kind of really amazing thing that you did uh, at Amsterdam, starting your own group. And when yes. we were studying uh, wind band conducting, you also started mm. to go into uh, bass clarinet performance and uh, particularly uh, contemporary bass clarinet performance. Yes, I did. So of course, uh, uh, Amsterdam is a school that is a music school that offers a major in bass clarinet, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But I don't think it is much offered now because of like budget constraints. I see. Yeah. But back in the day, it was a principal study, even from the bachelor's. Mm. Yeah, you could do a, both a bachelor's and a master's. But now I think it's just offered as a master's and only for very selected students. I see. Okay. Uh, so how did you uh, get into this uh, contemporary music performance with a bass clarinet? Yeah. So when I enrolled into the women conducting department, right, um, we had to all upkeep an instrument mm. and so I was a clarinetist and I've been playing like professionally in a military band for four and a half years right so I was sort of sick of it already I see okay <laughs> yeah and yeah so I was looking for other options that I could pick up maybe even a new instrument you know mm. maybe Maybe like the oboe or bassoon, uh, which actually I did after that. But oh, for the bass, you actually considered oboe and bassoon. Yeah, yeah. So actually, as uh, instrumental majors, you would also need to learn to teach. Okay. Right. right. So I had oboist friends. Uh, I had flautist friends who were looking for students. I see. And I gladly volunteered myself. You know, ah, because okay, I okay. think as a wind band conductor, you really need to know the in and outs of each instrument. Ah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So I took oboe. Yeah, I took oboe lessons, flute lessons from my friend, and I actually also for one year took bassoon lessons from one of the section players in the consecutive orchestra amazing so. <laughs> amazing nice yeah that nice. was quite an amazing yeah okay yeah. okay but don't ask me to play the bassoon now it's so difficult <laughs> yeah like shout out to my bassoon friends like i feel you and i understand your pain <laughs> so i will not demand much from you <laughs> newfound respect right <laughs> yeah yeah really okay okay yeah right yeah so then i found that the bass clarinet was offered in school mm. as a principal study yeah, and I wrote to the administration like, oh, like, I need to play an instrument as part of my conducting studies, right? Yeah. So I saw that there's 
the base clarinet department and I was wondering if I could do it as my side subject. Okay. Yeah, so then they got me to write to my teacher who is Eric Van Duren, who is the base clarinet teacher there. Mm. And yeah, I wrote him an email. He was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Like nobody has done this as a side subject as a non-clarinet major. So why don't you just come for a meetup and then we can take it from there. Mm, yeah. Okay. So yeah, like, and I went for my first lesson. I rented a bass clarinet from school, mm. which was probably older than me. And nice. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we had lessons from then and I had lessons for all six years in my studies. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, did you take a liking towards contemporary music the whole time? Or was it something like, this is, this looks quite interesting or like the idea yeah. of studying bass clarinet was quite interesting. Let's just try and see what comes out of it. So like with contemporary music, I've already been exposed to it when I was studying in NAFA. Mm. Yeah, because like Dr. Godochai was, he's a composer, right? Yes. So he writes a lot of new music all the time. Yeah. And as students, um, we were singing, like I was singing in the, one of his community choirs as well. Mm. Uh, the Amadeus Choral Society back then. So we were also singing like new pieces from him. Mm. And yeah, and in the chamber, chamber choir led by Miss Jennifer Tam, we also sang a lot of new works by the fellow composers in school. And yeah, so I was already exposed to like contemporary music back then. And as a clarinetist, some of my friends also wrote like clarinet works in like a small ensemble of trio of quartet for their composition modules. And yeah, so a lot of the exposure that I had was already in Singapore. Mm. Yeah, but when I was in Amsterdam, that was when like the exposure to contemporary music came. Yeah. Yeah. I was also like in a in a elective mm-hmm. which is called the contemporary music through non-Western technique. Yeah. Uh basically that's a class led by Raphael Reiner and Jos Swanenberg mm-hmm. dealing with Indian Carnatic music. Ah, Four okay. Western musicians, yeah. Ah. So basically, they they took the Indian Carnatic rhythm concepts mm. and break it down into how a Western classical musician would understand, you know, right? And to approach these polyrhythms and complicated contemporary music like rhythms by Zanakis, Elliot Carter, mm. Fernie Ho, and all that. Right, yeah. right. So they use the Indian Carnatic rhythm concepts to apply to the Western music. Yeah, so in that module, I was always in the same class as like percussion players or like composers. So we did a lot of new music. I see. And Raphael Reina is a composer as well. So I also played a couple of his pieces and pieces by his ex-students who are also alumnus of the school and all that. I yeah. see. So the whole exposure towards contemporary music really, really started from there. Like to do it like 24-7. Mm. Like in my courses, in my class with Eric as well, we were always doing 
yeah, because bass clarinet is relatively new, right, as a solo instrument. Yep. So maybe only in the last 30 to 40 years. It was actually led by a Dutch bass clarinetist as well, Harish Panay. Okay. So I think he commissioned like 600 pieces, or at least 600 pieces wow. were written for him. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's amazing. So he's like the godfather of bass clarinet. I see. Like solo bass clarinet, mm. yeah. So Eric was one of his students as well. I see. And... Yeah, so I'm like the third generation. Nice. Ish lah, sort of, sort of. Nice, nice. Yeah, but of course I have to remember that I was a conducting major, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but I was playing so much bass clarinet. And yeah, like with the pieces that I had to learn with the composers, they always wrote like extended techniques. And I was like, what on earth are all this? Like, how do I do it? And yeah, so I had to learn like um, slap tongue for for sure, slap tongue would be needed right. by the contemporary pieces. Mm. Yeah. And then you had like the multiphonics and all the bisbigliandos and all that, you know, all the color trills that I had to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric was on the part giving me a lot of new information to approach the bass clarinet. I'm a bit, I'm a clarinetist, but everybody assumes that as a clarinetist, you should be able to play the bass clarinet. But when I started lessons with Eric, I realized that no, it is a totally different instrument. Mm. Yeah, like you have to really approach this totally new instrument. Yeah. Yeah. You might have the same finger techniques, but like sound production, articulations, and the whole range of things you could do with like the four and a half, five octaves mm. that you have on the bass clarinet. Yeah, this was something totally new. And I'm actually still exploring that as well. Like, we play in the same quartet, right, yeah. Vincent? Yeah. So you can hear, like, sometimes we have to do, like, incredibly ugly things yeah. that is actually asked for in the music. Mm. It com- comes quite naturally are- to us, no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but these are the things that, as classical musicians, you try not to do. Yes, of course. Right, yeah. you're suddenly having the need to unlearn the things that you're actually doing. Mm. Yeah, it's like sometimes we have the squeaks on clarinets, but now we have to deliberately squeak all the time. Yeah, you know, or to split the notes all the yeah, time, and, and that's something that on the classical level should never happen. Mm. Yeah, so like I actually don't find myself as a player of contemporary music I find myself more of a player of living music by living composers Mm. yeah yeah because contemporary music is so broad you know a lot of people are still talking about pieces by Webern and Schoenberg as contemporary music Mm. you know but these pieces are already written like 100 years ago yes is that still contemporary Mm. right yeah you know so a lot of the pieces that the bass clarinet have only started 30 to 40 years ago. Mm. And that is already quite old. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because it's almost half a century old as well. Yeah. Yeah, like, I would rather be playing pieces that have been written this year or a couple of years ago, you know? Mm. That would be more contemporary than, let's say we did a piece by Schoenberg. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's quite easy to lump everything together as contemporary, yeah. right? As long as, yeah. oh, no fixed tonal center. 
done. Contemporary, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, no beautiful melodies, done. Contemporary, yeah. new music. Yeah, it's very yeah. easy to kind of bracket everything yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like in Singapore, the over the sort of months or I'll say like the past year, there seems to be more attention being brought towards um, perhaps like what you say, living uh, music by living composers and particularly yeah. particularly uh, Singaporean composers. And I think yes. that this genre is starting to um, really grow uh, in the country. Mm. So how do you feel about this actually? It's definitely a great thing for the local scene. Mm. But actually, in fact, these composers are already quite well-known like out of our island. You mm, know? Definitely. Yeah, like Diana So is doing so well in France. Mm. And Emily Cole, of course, in America, you know? Yeah, our and she, 2019 yeah. Young Artist recipient, right? Yeah. Young Artist Award recipient. Yeah, yeah, and like Bertram as well has written pieces for fantastic players and ensembles mm. and we don't lot over them in Singapore mm. why it's very very strange yeah. yeah and in many ways unfortunate as well isn't it yeah extremely unfortunate yeah. because we have such a huge circle of talent but we always undermine our own people mm. yeah yeah we always find that the foreigners are way better than us yeah it's just which is yeah it's just kind of the infinite yeah, definitely. Yeah. This kind of uh, imposter syndrome, isn't it? It's like, yeah, who are we? That 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 kind of idea. Yeah, but yeah, but I do agree that especially. I mean, uh, with our upcoming project, it's the first time I'm playing the music of uh Emily, and it's yes. brilliant. It's, and you know, I'm yeah. actually, uh, it's not something that I'm used to for sure. Uh, <laughs> almost most of the things that we are pro, uh, pro, uh, that that we have commissioned is not down my alley but it's been yeah. extremely um, sort of rewarding to just kind of um, uh, experience and learn yes, this for sort of sure. language yeah like like new music is always very intimidating to people mm. yeah but you need the time that you put into it it's the same way you approach like classical music mm. we don't live in the classical era how do we know how to play Mozart yeah Exactly, you know? and we can read as many articles and hear as many recordings, but we would never know exactly how Mozart actually wanted it. Mm. As much as the academic papers say, "Oh, it has to be done this way," but do we really know? In fact, that is like that. Yeah, right. Exactly. And with the living composers, we could just write an email, or now we can do like Zoom calls. Like, hey, what do you want with this? Yeah, yeah, right. Correct. <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah, and that solves the whole issue immediately. Yeah, for sure. But I guess that is also when in the classical era, Mozart was contemporary. Mm, definitely. Right? Or Beethoven was contemporary in their own time periods. Yeah. Yeah. So all this piece, all this music, we're all contemporary back then, especially like Bach, you know? Mm. Or even when you go back to like uh Monteverdi and all that, yeah. the harmonies are so strange. Mm. Yeah, but we don't take notice of that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I think they, they wrote in a way, most of the time when they wrote music, it is yeah. for a particular group or a particular person yeah. in mind, right? Yeah. And I think that is the re really the fun part about working with a composer. Yes. So up close, this kind of relationship, yes. they write yes. things that suits you. And, yeah. you know, they understand you as a musician. They understand, or they understand the group. Yeah. And yeah, that sort of like bespoke service 
right? It's <laughs> yeah, I think it's amazing. And yeah, which is basically what we are doing with commissions now. Yeah, exactly. It's the same, exactly the same mm. thing as what they did back then. Yeah, yeah. But we always want to play music of dead men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and women. Okay, not to discount the women composers, of course. Yeah. So actually, now with that, right? What you said brings us yeah. very nicely to the next topic, which is about your very open feelings towards wind band performing orchestra <laughs> transcription. So. Uh, I guess part of your argument would be why are we playing music of people of the past? Yeah. Right? And apart from that, are there any other reasons that you, you know, feel so strongly about orchestra transcription? Okay, I just have to put this out there. I do not hate orchestral music. Oh, so that's that's a new thing, right? That clears up. Okay. A, yeah, because... Yeah, like... <laughs> I just have to make sure people get this point. I don't <laughs> hate orchestral music. Yeah. Yeah. I just hate women's playing orchestral music. Mm. Yeah. Because there is so much of good wind band repertoire that is not played often. You know, even the classics with the host and the Vaughn Williams, mm. nobody play them anymore. Yeah. Like, these are the classics of wind band mm. repertoire, but why don't people do them anymore? And a lot of the new original wind band pieces are equally as technically challenging or as musically on par, you know, with the classical music. I don't even know why I have to say like musically on par or like technically on par, you know, mm. because a lot of the wind band music are written for the wind instruments. Yep. And they would test the abilities of the players. Definitely. You don't need a transcription of a Mahler symphony or what else? What else do we have? Like, I can't even think of orchestral transcriptions anymore. Yeah, Shostakovich. Because, yeah, yeah, Shostakovich. Yeah. You know, like, why do the clarinets have to struggle to play the violin parts? Mm. And in the eventually, they might not be able to play, you know, even at a concert. Yeah. And everyone is cheating, like covering each other to mm. at least try to make it for the parts. Yeah. And that's really something that's quite saddening for me. Mm. And as a clarinetist, I really hate playing the orchestra transcriptions because it's so damn hard to play. Yeah. Especially you know? if it's in the wrong key, right? <laughs> yeah. And with a lot of transcriptions, it's always like a semitone lower or higher. Yeah. Because it's in such a difficult key for the B flat and E flat instrument. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, and a lot of the transcriptions that are being played now are actually by like the secondary school and JCs, mm. uh, the bands of the institutions. Yeah. And it's quite sad because they will be preparing these pieces for like months and months or even like up to a year or two mm. on the same piece of music. Yeah which they might be struggling to play even until the SYF. Mm. And it's quite sad because this is the only piece of music that they get to see. Right. Yes. And they don't learn any like real band repertoire. Mm. Yeah, so that's quite a... Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of good learning points of orchestral music, mm. but maybe not to use them as a performance or a competition piece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because you can just use like fragments of the piece in particular to learn certain techniques or phrasing that you need to, you know. Mm. But in the end, you're still a wind band. You should be playing wind band music. That's it. Yeah. 
yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you know the whole. Uh, I mean, I'm no expert in the wind band uh, yeah. uh, development, right? Or what is trendy yeah. in the wind band scene? But yeah. it goes through phases. Right, so yes, you have definitely. a phase of like the legendary ensembles like Eastman with Donald Hansberger mm. that's doing all mm. these like uh, transcriptions. Then you yeah. have uh, Fennell with Corset doing this bunch of transcription, mm. Firebird pictures and exhibition and all these mm. works. And then yeah, it's kind of sort of like trickled down a little bit to yeah uh, what we you know um, know now and. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a shame because there there's a lot of wind band repertoire out there. Yeah. And if you want symphonies, there are symphonies and in fact nowadays much more than before, isn't it? Like really large scale works that will push Yeah, huge pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll push the stamina of every single musician. Yeah, but I mean people also have to understand like historically wind bands are also quite new, maybe in the past hundred years. Mm. Yeah, since host, you right? Yeah. Since the days of host. Yeah. Before that, there might be winds and brass bands, but there was no repertoire for them. Mm. So they had no choice but to rearrange like uh overtures. Yes, opera overtures, like, op- right? Opera or arias as well, yeah. you know? Mm. And yeah, so that was like a need to have music to play. Mm. But we have sort of already moved on in the past hundred years. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of music that's to be played that is not. Yeah, and mm. actually I've heard a lot of the older transcriptions played in Holland when I was there. Mm. You know, like in the A5 p- sheets of paper. Right, oh yes, yes, yes. Like, not even in A4, yeah, you know. <laughs> those for, for marching or something like that, right? Yeah. yeah, so I heard some of these performances of like all these old handwritten scores and I was like wow it can be like this mm-hmm. it's so beautiful you know Yeah. but a lot of the bands now if we were to approach the same pieces you would be like oh there's too many doublings mm. too many uh, notes everyone playing the same thing Yeah. but back then it was because nobody were technically capable mm. right like the brass bands a lot of them were minors yeah so sometimes you have to switch instruments and then for ease of playing you would have to play of course easier things right Mm. or like have more doublings so that in case this person was working the part would be covered yeah yeah so a lot of these pieces would not work in the modern context anymore because we are so big in Mm. like the quantity of players yeah and yeah so I'm against the transcriptions of that but I'm actually quite an advocate for like reorchestrations of certain pieces. Mm. Like, like the Muzowski pictures and exhibition. Yeah. Like, I think there is a Japanese reorchestration that Tokyo Kosei has played it under Douglas Bostock. Mm. And yeah, it is a reorchestration of Muzowski's piano parts. Ah, so okay, okay. you would not hear the trumpet opening in that. Yes, it's chimes, situation. isn't it? Or something. Yeah, like it's chimes ah. and glockenspiel yeah. and whatever. Yeah. Mm. And then also like Debussy piano works, you know, which the Japanese orchestrators have redone it for the wind band medium. I see. And I'm totally fine with all this because they are reorchestrations mm. for the wind band medium. I see. Yeah, and it's not a literal, oh, violin one goes to clarinet one. 
Mm, okay. Like a literal cut and paste, I see. you know, transcription, uh, which happens most of the time like that for a lot of the transcriptions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, I think you, you brought up yeah. some pretty good points. Yeah. yeah, because this clears up, I think, a lot of misunderstanding, right? Because, <laughs> because like, I mean, <laughs> I think not that you're bothered with this misunderstanding, but yeah. generally people feel like you feel so strongly against like orchestral yeah. transcription. But what does yeah. it make, uh, make sense? If it's an reimagination of something, yeah, that is pretty Definitely. cool. Yeah, but yeah. if it's like uh, purely just transcribing, then sometimes it don't really make sense. Really, right. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Because a lot of like the orchestral A clarinet parts, now you have to play on the B flat. Mm. Which and is a nightmare. really yeah. impossible because now everything is six flats and seven sharps and whatnot, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so yeah. it's quite tedious to play. Yeah. Yeah. And the sound just doesn't make sense. Mm. You, 20 clarinets against 20 violins. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sonically just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> because one E flat clarinet can be louder than the whole violin section. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Depends whether yeah. you want to do it or not, right? That's yeah. the that's yeah. the question really. Yeah, and it just doesn't make sense with all these orchestral transcriptions. I mm. as a like a clarinet tutor, sometimes I can't even play the parts. You know? Mm. How do I expect my students to be able to play it? Yeah. And I, I've got to say I'm not the best clarinet player around, but mm. yeah, if I as an adult clarinetist can't play the parts, I cannot expect my students to be able to. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And there's no enjoyment in struggling to play a beautiful piece of music, mm. you know? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Right. So now um I want to ask you something that is quite interesting. Uh yes. so you know, as musicians when or as music students when we leave school, we yeah. one of the fears is employment, right? Yes. So uh, finding work and leaving school and leaving the comfort of being a student is always very daunting. So in Europe, I know uh, at least in my time playing in brass bands and stuff like mm. that, the person in front that we call the conductor is always paid a certain amount of money. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say that it is enough money to sustain your <laughs> livelihood, right? Nowhere yeah. near. But they are paid per rehearsal or whatever deal mm. you strike with the organization. Mm. Sometimes they are paid monthly. Yeah. Uh, I remember my uh, the brass band that I played uh, in is sponsored by a bakery, which is like maybe wow. equivalent to like a gardenia in Singapore, that kind nice. of bakery. So uh, they, their bread is on supermarket shelves and stuff like that. Yeah. So I remember that my conductor was being paid uh, a monthly sum. Yeah. So um, obviously when it comes to Singapore, um, conductors are not paid when they conduct community groups. Mm. Right? So um, why do you think uh, this, is the, this is the case? Actually, in Singapore, the bands that are based in community groups centers the conductors are actually paid a small sum i see okay yeah because uh, the community center is still part of the government right mm. yeah so they cannot just let a group do things and not pay them i see okay yeah, because they are still serving the community so actually the conductors are paid a small fee in the community center bands okay yeah but of course a lot of the conductors also just bring back the money to the ensemble yeah they just donate yeah back. but yeah. like the community groups. Mm. You know why in Europe, 
the conductors are paid because the members are actually paying a fee as well mm. to play. Yeah. Yeah, so all the fees from the members go to the conductor, to the hire of venue, to the rental and purchase of scores, and also to fund the concerts. So a lot of times, there is a huge sense of belonging and ownership in the bands in Europe. Mm. Because everybody contributes, yeah. not just musically, yeah, financially, you know, and sometimes you have wind bands with two or three generations within them. Yeah, definitely. So then you're also like emotionally like invested in it as well. Mm. Like if this person has a moody day, then the whole family gets messed up, you know, during rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah, which happens quite a lot when I was conducting my Dutch community band. Mm. Yeah, so there is a huge sense of basically the kampung spirit. Yeah. Yeah, everybody has to be paying or be paid to play. Yeah, so a lot mm. of the guest players are also paid. Mm. And if not, then there will be like an exchange of service, you know, like if your band needs a player, I would send my player there to help you next time. Ah, okay. Yeah, so there is a huge like kampung spirit basically. I yeah. see. And that's that's what is really missing here. Mm. Like here is almost like if you don't pay me, I don't play for one. Or, oh, you're from this band, or you're from this orchestra, <laughs> then I don't play for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Of course, that rivalry happens as well in Holland. Yeah. Especially during contest season. Oh, uh, of course. You know, course. but usually it's quite cordial. Everyone helps each other because we are from the same region or from the same village. Yeah. Yeah. But when it's contest season, sorry, you are band A and I'm band B. We mm. will not help each other. Yeah. Yeah. And especially the higher, <laughs> especially the higher you climb, actually not the higher yeah. you climb. If you are in the same division, then it becomes a yeah. problem, right? If yeah. your divisions are like too wide apart, then maybe okay. Yeah, Doesn't then it's matter. okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think it's interesting because this uh, we talk about the sustainability of arts group, right? How mm. um, in general arts group, in order for us to to function, we need a, mm. a pool of money to put up concerts yeah. and all that kind of stuff. We are not even talking about becoming professional, like paying every single yeah. musician, but yeah. just having a community group where people can come together, make music, yeah. and uh, we can do, you know, one to two concerts a year yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It takes a lot of money. And, you know, one of the best ways to be sustainable is that members contribute a certain amount mm. of money. Right? Yes. And then you always hire somebody that is a professional to conduct the band. Yes. So either someone that is professionally trained, like graduated mm. already mm. Uh, from a music school, or yeah. they are actually studying music Still now. Still currently a student. Yeah. 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 So I think that is really important. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, um, that <laughs> it, it's difficult, right? Like how can we, uh, we can't change this because yeah. uh, I think in general, Singapore yeah. uh, musicians, we are all kind of spoiled already, mm. right? <laughs> that we, yeah. um, that we just need to give our time, and then that's it. Yeah, right. Yeah, like when I was in Holland, the community events that I conducted and played in. Whenever we have concerts, you can see that sometimes when you're browsing on YouTube, you have videos of European bands playing like in a church mm. or playing in like a gymnasium. Yeah or like very strange venues, is because they cannot afford to play in a proper concert hall. Mm. Yeah, because if they were to 
pay to play in a concert hall, they will have no more funds left to hire the rehearsal space or to rent scores or to buy scores anymore. Yeah. So actually a lot of these concerts in churches during our intermission or like before and after the concert, we'll be like selling cakes, mm. we'll be selling beer yes. and wine, yes, you know, yes. all this yeah. to make money for the group to sustain for the next concert. Yeah. 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 And this is totally not happening here because we have so much money from the government. Mm. If we check the relevant boxes and if we apply the right grants, we will get money easily, you know, yeah. to play in a beautiful concert hall with nice acoustics. Definitely. Yeah, and we don't savor this because we are, we've never had this hardship of playing in the void deck mm. to an audience, you know. Yeah. I mean, this is far-fetched, but yeah, you get the drift. Correct. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, most of the concerts, if they're all <laughs> going to be in CC, multi-purpose halls yeah. and stuff like that, it will yeah. be very different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and it kind of hurts me a little <laughs> bit, you know. It's, yeah, how we put up big productions after big productions. Yeah. yeah. And it's a little bit sad because I think in terms of being a sustainable organization, mm. Um, they, yeah. Of course, this is my opinion, right? But the, yeah. the wind band scene in Singapore has painted such a bad picture about arts, the sustainability of arts group. Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, like if you if you were to have a corporate company run that way, it will not exist anymore. Yeah. Very quickly, it will not exist anymore. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, maybe... If yeah. I come out and say that, oh, everybody needs to chip in like $50 a year or like $20 a month to your band yeah. fund, everyone will start like hating me or, or whatever. But, you know, you question sometimes, what do you have to do to keep your group go- going, right? Yeah, but this was the case when I was like in my late teens, when I joined the community bands, we had to give monthly contributions. Mm. You know, like we were giving, maybe the students had to give $15 a month and the adults had to give like $20, $30 a month. I cannot remember the exact sum. Mm. It might not be a month, it might be a year. Yeah. But back then, we had to give a little bit of money a month and also we had to give like, what was this, the to the treasurer, like a band fund. Yeah. You know, mm. if we have surplus, we will have like a barbecue at the end yeah. back then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but, so, like, my band that I conducted for the last three years in Holland, uh, Soli Deo Gloria, Kok Zandai, right? Mm. They were supposed to commemorate their 100th year since their formation this year. Mm. Yeah, but because of the pandemic, they had to cancel their concerts and it was, like, unsustainable because they were they still had to pay for, like, the rehearsal venue even though they had no rehearsals and it's the players are also getting older aging out and dying off you know Mm. so there was no new blood as well and they've actually decided to fold and just close wow after 100 years of existence wow okay yeah and i'm so sad over this news right So this was like af- they, after you left Netherlands? Or? Yeah, after I left and then there was a year or two in between mm. with a new conductor okay. who was a colleague in the conservatory as I well. I see. Yeah, and then they had to decide to close down for good this year. Yeah, and it's so disheartening. 
because they were putting posts like, oh, who would like to buy over our scores and our percussion instruments because they've decided to close. Oh, uh, man, 100 years. Yeah. 100 years. Yeah, 100 God. years. Wow. And they are already considered one of the younger bands in the region. Okay. 100 yeah. years, yeah. Mm. Like the Dutch Marine Bands, they commemorated 225 years or something just a couple of years ago. I see. Yeah, oh. like, I mean, with a country with such a rich wind band culture, they are also dying. Mm. Yeah, a lot of bands have fought. Yeah. I see. Mm. It's so disheartening to hear. Definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, even for me, sometimes if I have a sense of attachment to a group, sometimes, yeah. you know, if it falls after five years, it already hurts. Yeah. If it's like a, <laughs> if it's like a hundred years, my God, yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine like that. Just the number of players that has been through that door, right? Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, this is a good time. Eh? I think people should just like put things into perspective a little bit, you know. Um, of course, <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that what I, I mean, I... I enjoy and I feel that we are very lucky to have all these sort of uh, subsidies. So to, lucky. Yeah, to yeah. be able to play in a community band and mm. things like that. But yeah, we do hope that if you're in a community band or you're in an arts organization that you sometimes think of the bigger picture as well. Yeah. yeah do not think that because you are spending your time here, you can dictate things and <laughs> yeah, the organization should owe you yeah. anything because out of uh, Singapore, people actually drive four to five hours for a rehearsal. Yes. Right? One way, uh, not not yeah. Yeah, not two ways. One way, uh, just because they are, you know, they have a deep sense of belonging to the group and they are dedicated to and they enjoy mm. music making. And they come for rehearsals week after week after week. Mm. It's not even like a project basis where we just rehearse for a week and then we have a concert. Yeah. This is like throughout the whole year. Like in Holland, everybody cycles. Mm. I have like members who cycles for one hour to the rehearsal mm. and then one hour back home. Like that is insane. Even in winter, they do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the dedication and the sense of belonging to the group is so huge over there. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And like, I think as the members of the band, you should really try to support your management and your committee. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Because you are nothing without their work. Mm. The band would not exist or whatever ensemble, yeah, orchestras, choirs, you will not exist without the management. Yeah. yeah. As much as the management needs you, everybody needs each other. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. two-way street. No, yeah, no one party is kind of more important than the other, yeah. right? Yeah. Nice. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, Daniel, time flies. So, yeah. yeah, it's about time for us to wrap this conversation <laughs> up. And yeah, of course, thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing your thoughts and experiences. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. And speaking to you, uh, there's never ever a dull moment, right? So, yeah, th this platform... <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, none at all. Yeah. So, uh, this platform will always be open to you if you're on the chat. So sure, yeah, sure. anytime. Maybe I should start my own podcast as well. <laughs> Come, sure. Let, let's do this. Let's then do this. I know how hard it is to do this. <laughs> and then you'll be like, uh, actually it's nothing. Yeah. Why why is he complaining all the no, time? No, right? no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh so yeah, thank you once again for uh coming on yeah. to the show. 
And so for all of you who are listening, thank you for staying with us throughout this episode. And uh, most importantly, thank you for your attention. The most valuable commodity any of us have to give. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.